Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the BU Fitness Podcast. My name is Sean Pruce. I am a lead fitness faculty here at Bryan University. This is episode 10, and we will be talking to James Ellis about a couple different things. James Ellis is a fitness faculty here. We'll be talking to him about weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, his experience with coaching, his experience with owning a gym, and a couple other topics. But before we get there, I'd like to introduce my co-host, as always, my fellow fitness faculty member and longtime gorilla impersonator, mm. Kyle Thompson. Hello, hello. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Kyle, fresh off his new haircut, newly married. Just for the podcast, haircut. Excellent. Excited yeah. for today's episode? Uh, very excited. We are interviewing our friend, James Ellis. James is a lifelong athlete. He's played soccer. He's wrestled. He's done track and field, CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting, and was a Division I cheerleader at the University of Illinois. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology from the University of Illinois. He has NASM certifications as a personal trainer, a performance enhancement specialist, and a corrective exercise specialist. He's a level two CrossFit trainer and a kettlebell specialist. He is a USA weightlifter, eight-time national competitor. He's also a national weightlifting club coach. He's certified as a functional movement screening specialist through the Gray Institute. This is going to take a while. I'm, I'm about halfway done. <laughs> he is the co-founder and head coach at Scottsdale Barbell. He's been an instructor at Bryan University for five and a half years. He owns CrossFit Infinite Strength. He also owns a dog, a cat, and a fantasy football team. James Ellis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> it's good to be here. We have a, a bunch we want to talk about. I think the obvious question Kyle and I want to talk to you about, though, probably the most important topic is... I'm 0-4 right now. You're 0-4 as a fantasy football yeah, league? Yeah. That is not the most important That is topic. actually not the, the most important topic. The most important topic we want to talk to you about, you know, considering all the things I just listed in your resume, what was it like to live with Kyle and me? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, honestly, it, we spent most of our time here, so... Uh, That's true. It, it was... I, I miss you guys, but... Uh, should I don't get to see you as nearly as often as I'd like to. Yeah, agreed. We have mentioned this. I, I know Kyle and I have mentioned this before in, in some of our classes that we've taught. We've been, we lived together for about a year and a half. Something like that, James, yeah. At James' right. house, we were both his tenants. It was a fun year and a half. Yeah, and uh, you guys all left me, and now, uh, now I'm all by myself. Aww. Kyle had to be an adult and get married. Sorry. The whole thing. It's disappointing. I was, in preparing for this episode, I was reading a little bit about you, and it said that you've competed in over 50 weightlifting meets. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I stopped counting after a while. Uh, it's been, I think, since, I mean, I started in 2010, and uh, most recently just competed in Las Vegas about three weeks ago. Beautiful. Yeah. What I want to start with is just simply, how did you get into the sport? Oh, man. Um... Well, I got into weightlifting through CrossFit, and I got into CrossFit because on my uh, 21st birthday, or for my 21st birthday, I wanted to get in as good a shape as possible because my birthday is October 30th, later this month, actually, and uh, the movie 300 had just come out. <laughs> 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 and uh, 
I mean, honestly, yeah, this is this is where it, this is where it all started. I did that. Um, and so I was, I don't know, fascinated, I guess, uh, that a body could look like that, and I wanted to see what I could do also. And I started looking into like how those guys trained. I came to find that they trained at a place called Jim Jones in uh, Salt Lake City, and. Uh, Basically, the owner of Jim Jones, his name is Mark Dwight, he had found CrossFit years earlier, um, did some work for the Department of Justice, and um, like the, the rest is history. Um, I realized after about six months of CrossFit that I was better at lifting heavy than breathing heavy, and uh, I, I preferred to lift barbells over the, the girls that I had in college. And... Uh, from cheerleading. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Got it. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, they complain a lot less when you drop them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I just, I, I went July 10th, 2010, my first weightlifting meet, and realized real quickly that uh, there was a whole lot more to learn. And so, yeah, I uh, spent the next, well, up until right now, learning as much as I could. Yeah, 2010 to today. Yeah. Very cool. I've got this image of you performing a clean and jerk with a uh, <laughs> with some girl in college and missing it and then dropping her. On it's the basically mat. the same thing, honestly. <laughs> um, like there, there's a whole lot of similarities. In fact, like I wish I would have known more about weightlifting back then because I think you know I was still concerned about having a big bench press and uh, what's important. Yeah, it is when you're 20. <laughs> yes, uh, and yeah. a guy. Yeah, um, but yeah, quite honestly, like I, I don't know. I I wish I would have known more. Younger. You've answered a little bit, but what do you what do you like about what do you like about Olympic weightlifting? Oh man, um, I'm kind of a perfectionist, and uh, like just the I mean, Olympic weightlifting is just it's made up of two lifts: the snatch and the clean and jerk. Yeah. And so uh, you spend your entire life dedicating yourself to those two things, and uh, I guess three technically if you call the clean and the jerk two different exercises. Um, and there's just, it's, it's simple to learn. It's simple to teach for me at this point, but it, like you spend a lifetime like learning the nuances and like, I think the way of is pretty much a, it's a process of self-discovery that, uh, like there are certain rules for sure. Um, but there's also like, you need to learn how to work with your own body. And I don't know, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer, I think. So there's two exercises, and yeah. is it? It seems simple, and I've never, I've, as you know, I've never, been, I've never competed or even performed, practiced in Olympic weightlifting. Is it? Is it much more complex than one would think from the outside? I think anything is right. Uh, the the deeper you get into it, um, you know, that you can sense. you can go further and further down the rabbit hole in just about any uh, any world, right? I mean, anybody can take a video uh, on their iPhone now, but if you get into like the the details of videography, I'm sure like somebody could talk to your talk to your off for days and days and days about you know that specific thing. And the same thing goes for weightlifting. Same thing goes for exercise science. Same thing goes goes for just about anything. That's a good analogy. The iPhone. <laughs> yeah, because well, like it's it's <clears throat> simple enough that anybody can do it. Um, but then it's another it's a whole nother world when uh, when you want to be the best at it. Yeah. And if I'm correct, you just finished ninth in nationals out of 150. Is that correct? Um, I placed eighth actually eighth. Uh, at nationals, ninth in this last meet. 
um, okay. which was actually interestingly enough, it, it's it was more com- more competitive. I think um, there were it was the world's largest Olympic weightlifting event ever. Oh. Um, yeah, in history, I think there were over sixteen hundred fifteen athletes, and uh, yeah, over one hundred fifty in my weight class. Yeah, it's a few. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a bit. Um, I was going to say, like, you know, I'm just now scratching the surface of Olympic weightlifting. The first time I ever, like, I've done cleans, but and maybe attempted clean and jerks in the past. But I actually train at James's gym, CrossFit Infant Strength, for a few months now. I don't, I don't know when I when I joined earlier this year, some point. <clears throat> I think June, 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 July. So a, a couple months, and it's. I, I don't know really I can't articulate it well but it's it's fun learn, like learning to perform the snatch and, and it it's different than with my background it's more kind of like powerlifting deadlift squat and, and you know that has its own kind of draw towards it but the the snatch and the clean and jerk I think is a, it's a different animal I don't know I can't say it's like oh it's something different or next you know level up but it's it's a how? It's enjoyable. Tell me more. So, I mean, obviously, what do you mean? we know that there's different movements, but how how is it different besides just the fact that one's doing squats and deadlifts and bench press and overhead press, and the other one's doing the snatch and the clean and jerk? I would say they're more power movements to, to begin with. It's more of an explosive attribute to it, where mm-hmm. the deadlift, you can grind out a 1RM. You can't grind out a 1RM on a snatch. Uh, you just can't. Like So... Uh, I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it does. It does. Um, <laughs> it's a good. It's a good point. Um, yeah, powerlifting is. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's just it's poorly named. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> strength, right. Like if you look lifting. at like a just a mechanical definition of power, um, it, it doesn't know. fit. <laughs> yeah, force times distance over time. Um, yeah, it's a lot of force. It's a lot of distance, but it takes a long time to complete a rep. And so uh, with the snatch and clean and jerk, there's no other exercise that I'm aware of really that can develop the same level of power. In, uh, in that sort of a time frame. As you both know, I started powerlifting earlier this year. I've strength literally, lifting. what's that? Strength lifting. <laughs> I've literally never thought about that, that it's poorly named, even though it's so obvious. When you think about power, you're not doing something that, you know, the, the, the time, the efficiency yeah. of mm-hmm. it is important. Whereas with powerlifting, it's just basically you've got to get that weight up, and that's the way it's got to be as heavy as you can possibly do. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the same rules apply. It's just a much more dynamic sport. Um, I often joke and I say it's, it's, it's like dancing with a barbell. Um, and, interestingly enough, I can't dance, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but with a barbell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw you at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> just for anyone who's listening, James and I were both groomsmen for Kyle's wedding about, uh, well, I guess you got married now a month and a half ago. Yeah, I don't have very many friends. Clearly. <laughs> there were only 18 people at the wedding, and we, two of us were groomsmen. What's okay? So, people who, who watch your videos on Instagram or elsewhere, when they look at it, and for the people who are interested in getting into Olympic weightlifting, they might have no idea what a competitive weightlifter's training routine is like. What is your training schedule like? on a daily basis? What are the exercises that you're doing? How much time are you putting in it? How many days are you putting into it? Ooh. Um, well, so at this point, you know, my business sort of comes first. And so my own personal athletic journey has taken the back seat a little, especially this year. Um, but I've accumulated over 20 years of training. And so I think it's difficult to kind of isolate 
what makes someone you know strong or athletic or good at this sport um you know because for a, a good amount of time <clears throat> excuse me uh my my training looked like you know sometimes multiple sessions a day for two and a half three hours uh at a time and like i, I think at, at my peak i was training eight or nine sessions a week so uh mm. yeah wow. two, two sessions on monday wednesday friday one on tuesday one on saturday thursday sunday off so that's eight yeah eight sessions or so and uh like I said, it's only two exercises, so you spend a lot of time, you know, upwards of 20 hours a week, focusing on like that plus strength building exercises. Um, so much so that the the movement has become ingrained in in like in you know, muscle memory, whatever you want to call it. Um, so at this point in my career, it's more about keeping myself healthy enough to be able to perform rather than beating myself up and trying to quote unquote get stronger yeah so now basically desperately trying to hang on hang on yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you were telling me when we saw each other at kyle's recently that that at this point you are you're past the prime age for olympic weightlifters yeah especially in this weight class um Mm -hmm. you know i just at the at the meet that we just had in Las Vegas, uh, in my session, there were 16 of us yeah. and only one other guy born in the eighties. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> wow. yeah, everybody else is, is nineties and two thousands. Um, Uh-oh. and you know, the, the, I'm old man. Well, this is a, this is a <laughs> testament to you though. Seriously. Yeah. You compete in the top 8%, I think is what we were saying. Or top 6%. Um, you know, if you were, if you were four worldwide or worldwide. Yeah. I could be wrong on this. I, I don't know. Okay, but you were in the last event you went to. You yeah. you finished eighth out of 150. Correct. So that's the top six percent, and that's that's pretty damn impressive, especially yeah. considering you're one of the considering you're oldest old. people there. Considering <laughs> that there's also, you know, thousands of lifters who didn't qualify for the event. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Thank you. What? Okay. For people, I, the last question I asked was about you and and your routine and for people who are interested yeah. in getting into it if someone is interested in getting into olympic weightlifting um what would be the reasons why they should get into it why would they why should they want to play a sport to play any sport or, or this, to play or this no, particular to be, sport compete in this sport olympic weightlifting um you know I'll, I'll give you my my complete honest answer i don't know that it is for everybody quite honestly um it it in order to be good at this sport requires what I would consider to be a a very high level of dedication to, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word right now. Just attention to detail, precision, yeah. Um, And and never, I I guess this kind of holds true for just about, for being good at just about anything, but like the idea of never, like good good enough is never good enough. Um, You know, there's, there's levels to this, right? Um, you have to you have to be comfortable in a static position, you know, overhead squat, front squat, very like very deep in like the, in those positions first yes. before you can ever move your body in there dynamically. And so, like the first step is really not even to learn Olympic weightlifting; it's to get comfortable and mobile enough to be in those positions, you know, without load, and then to slowly move yourself into that and, and learn the pattern and. and I can't even tell you how many hours I've spent at my house in front of a mirror, just like 
making small adjustments in, you know, my, <laughs> my hips and my back and my, like, it's, uh, it's obsessive. <laughs> and so like, I, I think from a, like, if, if you just want to make it uh, be a recreational athlete, um, it can be a whole lot of fun, but I don't think, I think the fun goes away really quickly when you try to, uh, like take it to that next level if you're not ready for it. And so, uh, I, would, I guess I would caution someone to, uh, to get into the sport and almost, almost try to get them not to. And if, uh, if they don't listen, then embrace it and, and go in fully. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. So like, it's almost like exclusive in a way, but I, I feel like uh, that was my similar experience with bodybuilding, which uh, I did bodybuilding for eight years. And one of the reasons why I quit is because I, I realized that I just didn't enjoy it whatsoever. And, um, you know, if you want to be successful in bodybuilding, you have to be obsessed with the whole process of, you know, your nutrition training and so on and so forth. So basically people who want to go into Olympic weightlifting, there's gotta be a desire or a talent for precision, for attention to detail, for focusing on the nuance. It's not just about looking sexy and having a barbell above your head, but you have to be willing to adjust your hip position to be able to work on your ability to get into a deep squat and other precision matters of movement. Yeah. Can you still look sexy though? If you eat well. Okay. Do you have any tips for aspiring weightlifters? You've been very successful. You've been an eight-time competitor nationally. Someone getting into the sport, what would you give them? What, what advice would you give them? Kind of like what I was just saying before. Um, try not to rush it. You know, um, uh, mobility takes a long time to develop. Um, strength takes a long time to develop. And I think that so often we look for like those results, and especially in the fitness industry. We have this this message that's like, you know, uh, six week challenges and, and six minute abs and and. You know, um, everything is so instant and, and the gratification is just not there immediately for the sport of weightlifting. And so uh, you have to be patient. And I think that like building, like anything else that's worthwhile, um, building a solid foundation is the most important part of that and uh, not getting ahead of yourself. So telling it's my rules for life more than my rules for weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> And apply to both. Telling a young a young male not to rush on adding weights. That's a successful <laughs> <Yeah>. tip. <laughs> Almost always, yeah. Almost always, yeah. Well, Kyle and I were talking recently. We were saying that we think perhaps you, out of all the experienced fitness faculty we have here, you might be the most skilled coach out of all of us. And with that in mind, we were thinking what uh, we'd like to get your tips on coaching well thank you that's a that's quite a compliment um and i don't know that it's necessarily like inherently more skilled i think i just had more exposure than than most um i've spent more time out of the classroom and in the field than i think a lot of our other instructors and it doesn't i mean you guys are better teachers than i am um like you know in a classroom so i think it goes both ways um you know, the one thing that I think that makes a, a quality coach and just a quality and a quality teacher and a quality human being is like the, is taking the time to learn about the person you're trying to teach and mm. uh, and like not expecting more than them than they're ready to give um, and trying to find the way that they need 
to be coached rather than the way you want to coach them. And that's taken me a really long time to develop, uh, both you know, as a teacher, as a coach, as just a, a, a human being. And uh, I think so often we learn, we learn things a certain way and we want to hammer that way into every person we, we yes. come across. Yeah, and uh, you know, when you're unsuccessful enough times, like I have been, um, <laughs> you, uh, you, if you finally start to get it. And uh, you realize that it's not, they don't need to hear what you need to say. <laughs> they need to hear what they need to hear. And uh, I think that that's the best advice I can give. What about in that group setting? Because you talk about kind of having <clears throat> understanding who you're trying to coach. Yeah. How do you do that with 16 people in the room? Oof, a lot of humor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think you got to be adaptable, right? And, and, and like I said, you find all the ways that don't work. Um, and you just keep trying, you know, some people need a lot of words. Some people just need a few. Some people need, you know, maybe need you to put your hands on them sometimes and uh, like physically push their knees apart or, you know, put them in the positions they need to. Um, some people, you know, just need to see it and they need to see it again and again and again. And uh, I think that in a, a group setting is hard, just like it is in, in teaching in a classroom. Yes. Um, yeah. But... I think the more tools you have in your tool belt, the uh, the easier it becomes. And uh, you know, trying to use them all and not overuse one is usually pretty helpful. That makes sense. Is there a way that you can decipher on the spot in a class when you have people in your class that you have not seen, trained before, met before, where maybe a cue where you can determine what type of coaching that person needs, whether it is maybe a little humor, it is a verbal cue, a physical cue. Is there a, a way, a strategy, an approach you use to decipher that on the spot? Um, I don't think so, honestly. Um, I'm pretty, I don't know like how this comes across, but I'd say I'm pretty reactive when it comes to coaching. Um, you know, like I have my, my default setting and, uh, you know, I, I just try to be in tune with the way it's being received and react accordingly. Um, but with the one thing I found is that like simplicity is key, right? And keeping things, keeping things yes. in a, with, trying not to go too deep, to, too deep down the rabbit hole, like we were just talking about. Yes. Um, and especially like in in my world of of well, personal training and CrossFit and weightlifting and everything else, um, it's really easy to get kind of like. Uh, just in the weeds about you know hundreds of different exercises and oh what's the best exercise for your chest and uh, <laughs> you know um, you know how do I how do I lose this you know uh, I guess well it doesn't work too well yeah the back of the arms the yeah. flag the, the the waving hand whatever people call it yeah and um, you know at the end of the day and we talk about this in our program a lot um you can distill movement down to like a, a body can only do a certain number of things right we can push we can pull we can hip hinge we can squat we can bend twist and rotate um and you know we can move from point a to point b and uh when you start to teach people in way in that and you even even when you break down you know a complex movement such as the snatch right it starts off as a as a hip hinge and a vertical pull and um like 
yeah, I guess it's difficult to, to talk about it like over without being able to see it. Yes. Um, but anyways, like you can break down this really, really complex movement pattern into some of uh, these little easy parts that are easy to teach. Um, and people start to pick up on, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe the, the front squat is similar to a wall ball, which is similar to a thruster, which is similar to, you know, like all kinds of things that we do. And uh, now the same cues then apply, right? Um, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard chest up, knees out, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a millionaire. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I can. I don't know if that answers your question. It, it does. It yeah. does. Um, I think one thing that you mentioned that really caught my attention was the simplicity. I thought about this going through powerlifting in the last few months. I've been working on my squat form, my deadlift form, which is still far from perfect. But there were small things where I went from being this uncoordinated mess moving in segments to a smoother movement. And it would be something as simple as you know, drive your heels to the floor, knees out, yeah. mm-hmm. butt back. Butt back was a, a huge cue for me. Chest up was a huge cue for me. And just that, and all of a sudden, hearing that one cue as opposed to getting a complex dis- description of what I should be doing while I was in the movement having just that one cue move something in the place that moved kind of everything in the place. The simplicity was helpful. Well, and I think cues are really helpful to, for reminding people things you've already taught them. Um, and so, you know, maybe another element of like of coaching in a group class is you have to teach them first. Um, so there, right, there has to be that, that time where you are the instructor, you're the person who's going through the motion and showing them this is what we're expecting and doing it to a level of detail that like, that people will resonate with. And that way, after, you know, when you're out and everybody's doing their own thing, I can say, you know, drive your heels through the floor, keep your chest up, or they give those little short cues um, because they're just reaffirmation. They're not just, uh, I'm not trying to teach them on the fly. Yeah. I want to take a, a, a right turn and go into a different topic. You talked about teaching. You mentioned, by the way, that you you've you've been taught and other people teach the way that they've been taught i remember going through this at well one working here and seeing faculty come to brown university and then some people really favor lecturing and that's because they went to a school where they got lectured my master's degree a lot of the teachers i had were lectures we had zach ziegler who came in here who was uh, stars lecture and became more activity oriented because we both went through that experience I, I thought that was a really good point, and I've noticed that before. I, I don't know if necessarily that I've verbalized that, but I've, I've noticed that internally. Speaking of teaching, I do want to talk about that. You've been a teacher for five and a half years. You and Kyle were both hired on a couple of months before I was. I believe you started here in February of 2013. That's correct. And, and actually, I have a question, but I, I first want to start with, did I ever tell you, Kyle, the, the story of when I met James? I don't think so. No, no. This is great. At the time, the program director was Jonathan Young, who's, who's still a teacher here. Jonathan Young interviews me. I think it was the, the second or third interview I, I had. He brings me from upstairs to downstairs to the basement. And the basement is where we teach all of our classes, for those of you who are, who are or have been Brown University students. It also happens to be Halloween. <laughs> oh, yes, I've heard this. <laughs> Yes. At Brown University, we are quite festive. We decorate, we dress up, and sure enough, that day, James had dressed up. James was wearing 
My a spaceman onesie. onesie. A onesie. Yeah. <laughs> I still have that. When's the last time you wore it? Probably last week. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I still have that spaceman up, so. onesie. It was funny. This guy walks up to me in a onesie, shakes my hand. And I was thinking, what is going on at this place? I, other people were dressed up. I don't remember what anyone else wore. For some reason, I just remember you wearing the onesie. I, uh, I like to make an impact, Sean. You did. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, speaking of being a teacher. Yeah. <clears throat> you've been here five and a half years. What do you, what do you like about being an exercise science teacher? Um, I, you know, originally, I liked the idea of being able to get the, get the word out. Um, I, I think that... Being physically strong, or I don't even know if I want to say strong, um, but just having good physical health is um, one of the best ways to, like, it, it leads to other positive things, positive changes in people's lives. Uh, I think it's very difficult to be a successful um, business person or a successful husband or wife or, or a successful spouse, I should say, um, or really anything else if, you're, if your own health is, is not you know, in check. And so as a personal trainer, you know, my scope was 10 to 15 people. Um, as a personal training manager, it was you know, me plus all of my trainers and their clients, so it was maybe 150 people. And the idea of being able to go online and you know, uh, get the word out in a way um, to hundreds of people was uh, really appealing to me. Um, you know, if you would have, I, I would have never thought that you could teach exercise science in the way that we have um, online. Um, and it's actually been a really, really interesting experience. Cause Agreed. I mean, we've yeah. seen, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen the, the program grow and build and, and evolve over this time. And uh, it's something that like I'm, I'm really proud of now. And I've been able to be, to start courses and, 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 be involved in the creation of them and you know you've been given a lot of autonomy to to um to do my own thing and to like teach in a style that i find works best and i like, i think brian's been really great for that um i don't even remember the original question what do you like about being <laughs> a science yeah. teacher? <laughs> <laughs> um i mean yeah i guess it's still the same uh, it, it just gives me the opportunity to to impact uh, a lot of people positively. We had an episode, and this is just before Kyle, you had joined me as the co-host. When Josh and I were the co-host, we had Nick on, and we were talking about what our favorite, what do we think of the best jobs in fitness in the fitness industry. My answer was being a teacher. I'm obviously extremely biased. A little bit, <laughs> maybe a little. <laughs> but when you think about in terms of being able to impact the largest amounts of people. You think about what we do right now. I have 60 students. Let's say 50 of them go on to be trainers. And then those 50 each over the course of their careers have 100 clients, which could be an underestimate, by the way. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've, I had well over 100. Let's say 50 clients. Those, those 50 students have 50 clients each. That's what, 2,500 people? Yeah. Yep. That's a, That's lot, a lot of people. people. And not that we're directly training those clients, but... We're having a small impact on those people yeah. indirectly through the trainers that we taught and had a, you know, a somewhat a smaller, moderate impact on. And it's a pretty cool thing to think about. I mean, the only other way you can, you know, other ways you can really impact my people is to write things or to have videos online. But there's not a lot of ways to impact people. I mean, like really popular Instagram accounts, but 
as a trainer, I mean, you might have 30, 40 people at one time. You know, I think, uh, I think the question that you have to ask yourself and the thing that nobody can really answer for you is, do you want to help a few people a great deal or a lot of people a little bit? Good question. Yeah. And, uh, and that's been something that I've, I've kind of wrestled with a lot. And so I, I've, just being a workaholic, I've attempted to do both, right? I, I've continued training people throughout my time here at Bryan. Um, I now have a gym with 160 members. And, uh, <clears throat> and I still do a little bit of, of one-on-one coaching. Um, and so I, I think I get the best of both worlds in a way. Um, it is definitely, it's a, it's a lot of time. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. But uh but I think that's where I find most fulfillment is I, I can never really answer that question for myself. So I, uh, I try to do it all. No kidding. You've had long work days. Yeah. Which uh, I do want to ask you about. Um, Kyle, what do you like most about being an exercise science teacher? I don't know if I've asked you before. Ooh. Um, what he said. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, but in all seriousness, it, it kind of is because you do get to have a huge impact um, on a large group of people. But in addition to that, at least for me, I get to talk about stuff that I really like to talk about. And, and like, I get up in the morning, and yeah, maybe sometimes I don't want to get up at four in the morning, but I get here, and then I'm going to spend the next hour and a half talking about bioenergetics. Like, I'm, I'm stoked for that. Like, don't get me wrong. Maybe some of the students and people in that class are like, oh, wow, this is really boring. But, you know, I try to make it fun and try to have a good time as far as, you know, helping these people understand this information or articulate it in, a, in at least what I, what I feel is an interesting way. Um, I don't know. I'll have to ask my students. They probably won't tell me the truth because they want a good grade. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's just, it's, I don't want to use the whole cliche, the whole, it, you know, you, you work in your passion, you know, work a day in your life type of thing. But to an extent, it, it is. It does have some attributes of that statement. It's still work. Every it is still day. work. <laughs> But you can you can have fun. Like if if I were, and this is nothing against anyone who sells, uh, you know, car insurance or, or whatever. I I don't think I could do that. I would be uh, miserable. But at least I, I say that. I've, not that I've ever done it, but I would much rather be in an office setting, talking about things that I like to talk about. Yeah, and I think that you can take that either. Um, there's a couple of different ways to. Uh, I don't know if this is gonna get like too philosophical um there are a couple different ways to live your life though right um Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to find fulfillment in work if it allows you to to live a life that you love yes and so um you know i subscribe to the the idea of of find what you love and let it kill you um (laughs) and i've taken fitness and made it my entire life and so sun up to sundown um i i I never ever ever get away from it and i don't want that to sound negative because i i I love it but uh (laughs) Um, I think there's also, you know, there are people who ask me all the time, like, not all the time, but uh, who have asked me, um, you know, they're doing something that they don't love. And, uh, and like, you know, how did I find this at such an early age? And, and how, like, how can they do something similar? I said, I don't think you necessarily have to, um, as long as, you know, you can shut that one thing off and go do something you enjoy. And if it allows you to live your life, um, you know, find a job that, that pays well that you don't, uh, that you're not super passionate about, but it's only nine to five, right? Then you can shut it off for the other 16 hours of the day and, uh, yeah. and go do something that sets you on fire. That, that reminds me of uh, an individual, I won't mention his name, that we all know that we may have 
shared a room with or shared a house with that, uh, you know, maybe didn't love his job. I'm not saying like he, he oh, hated yeah. it, but yeah. but he was he was happy. Like absolutely, one just, of the happiest guys I know. Exactly. Just, yes. Get and supported and all of his, his many hobbies outside of yeah. work. Yeah. And th- there's a lot of people like that. So you don't have to be like, well, I really like exercise science, so I need to be a teacher or I need to own a gym or I need to do all this stuff because that's what I'm passionate about. Like, yeah, you, you, realistically, I could, if I was, I could probably go um, sell car insurance, right, if that su- supplied me whatever I needed as far as financial and, and whatnot and still enjoy talking about nutrition, like, being on a podcast or writing a book or just, you know, annoying my newly wed wife here about all the cool stuff that I read about this, you know, today. So, yeah. So I don't think there's a right answer to how to live your life. And I think that that's an important, Mm -hmm. probably an important message for people to hear sometimes. I feel the same. Like you, I've been involved with this since, well, I think it's like both of us or like all of us. I've been involved with this since I was, you know, since early on, I, took the personal training certification through AFA a month after my 18th birthday, and 18 is the youngest that person could take it. But it was kind of, for me, it was just kind of a fortunate accident. I wasn't planning to be a personal trainer for the rest of my life or in fitness for the rest of my life. And, I mean, it's been 17 years since then. But it wasn't, that wasn't my plan. I wasn't that smart as a teenager to think, well, this is my future. I'm going (laughs) in on this, and I'm going to get started right away. I got to, I got to, an undergraduate or bachelor's degree in English. So I clearly wasn't thinking I'm going to go into fitness. And then I started focusing more on fitness after getting out of the school, the the program I went to. But I'm with you. I mean, people, I I know quite a few people, including our old roommate, who they have passions. It just happens not to be their career. They do them outside of work. And their work financially and time-wise supports what they do outside. They don't have to work 60 hours or 50 hours. So they have the, the time, that extra time, plus enough money to be able to engage in whatever their hobby is, travel, uh, some kind of hobby like Dungeons and Dragons, video <laughs> games, whatever it may be. <laughs> Ordering off Amazon. <laughs> oh, man. We were talking about other things we wanted to ask you, and we came up with another question. And I think the, you know, keeping in mind the frame, framing of that people who are listening to this are trainers or they're students and they might want to go into teaching eventually. As a teacher, what are things you don't like about the career, the field, the work that you do as a teacher? Hmm. Helping people. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That is such the such the generic answer, but it is. Yes. I mean, it is actually. It's it's really true. Um, and it, I don't know if, if helping people is necessarily my my why, um, but being of service, feeling valued. Um, maybe it's a little bit self serving. You know, I think I got into fitness originally because um, because I wanted to be a better athlete, right? And uh, it was it was definitely a selfish endeavor. And I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. You know, mm-hmm. I find our students oftentimes are like, they find fitness um, because they had lived lives that were, um, you know, whatever, for, for whatever reason, less than desirable. And, uh, you know, fitness found, or they, they found their way into fitness and it changed their life for the better. And now they want to give that to other people. Um, I would say it is to be, to be as good as you can possibly be at it. Um, it's a pretty emotionally draining job. Um, and this holds true for. Will you for, explain that why it is? Um, because you you just you develop relationships with people 
who uh, who you become, you, you care very, very deeply about, and you want to see the best in them. And uh, this holds true for clients and students alike. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like, well, just like in any other sort of life, people will let you down, right? Or mm-hmm. they won't they won't live up to either their own expectations or your expectations of them, and you learn in time not to have those. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's never, it's not a nine-to-five job. It's a, it's a 24-hour job. And uh, I think that you have to be ready for that. And uh, I wouldn't say that I necessarily don't like it. Um, I don't know any other way. And... Uh, I wouldn't choose differently, but it's definitely something that can can wear on you a little bit if you're not if you don't take time to take care of yourself. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's you know, it's it's definitely not a nine to five job. But you're, you're you're answering messages, you're grading on the weekend, you know, whatever your schedule, however that fits into your your um, I guess your lifestyle. But if you like you said, don't take care of yourself, it, it becomes like, oh, man, I got to do this. Like, it, it just it just puts a cloud over the whole. The, the big picture of, of what you're doing. I relate to what you say about you can put a lot of time and effort into people and then, you know, many times it does pay off and it's very cool and you see this person who went through some crazy experience during school, such as they went, they got divorced, they lost a family member. We had a few students who were homeless for a period of time while they were in school somehow rally they stay in school during that they pass the courses they end up graduating there are some really cool success stories definitely on the other hand you know there's people that we have invested a lot into they don't make it through we we you know i i there's students who i've spent time on the phone with twice a week three times a week and for a period of weeks months and then they ultimately drop out and you know, it's not always a bad thing when students drop out because maybe there might be a better calling for a profession, but sometimes just don't succeed even though they want to succeed. And that is gut-wrenching, and it's it's crappy as a teacher because you think, wow, I put so much in this person, and then they just, you know, they couldn't go on, they decide not to go on, whatever the reason was. And then you ask yourself, is there something else you could have done uh, to, to really help them, you know, power through whatever the issue was? I mean, a lot of times there just isn't. Like, you can't. You as a teacher can't really, um, yeah, well, you just can't help them overcome everything. Well, people have to be uncomfortable enough to uh, to want to change. I actually, I just had this conversation with a member of mine uh, recently, this week. and it, was uh, it wasn't Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this person had said, um, they're they're in school. They're a single parent. They're they're doing um, a lot of they they have a lot on their plate, right? and, and they're also trying to make their health a priority. And they had mentioned um, likely failing a class, right? And I, I just asked, I said, what what makes you think you have that option? And it's a it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, and and they couldn't. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a good question to ask yourself sometimes because it's really easy to back your, to think that you're backed up into a corner where you can't really see your, a way out. Um, but, like, realize that there is often, there's always an alternative, right? And if that, al- if that alternative makes you uncomfortable, then run hard in the opposite direction and do whatever's necessary to not, uh, to not end up there, 
right? And so if that, whether that be failing a class or not going to the gym that day, or, you know, I don't, I don't, it's been a long day at work and I don't feel like making dinner, but I know that that's the best thing for me mm-hmm. and, uh, and skipping the drive through, um, and, and taking the extra time to go to the grocery store and get you something that you can make yourself. Um, I think that like taking that option and, uh, and taking that, like, you know, I don't know, choosing the hard way is, uh, just a, it's a really valuable way to live your life. Fine. Go ahead. Finding a, a way to get to where you want, finding a solution to the obstacle as opposed to just viewing it as having, just viewing as the exit off the parkway or the highway is, is the only option. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, think, I think people like to not think they have a choice because it affords them the opportunity not to take responsibility for, for the choice that they make. I think that applies in exercise too. I, I see people who will say, "Well, I suck at this this particular exercise. I suck at you know on the bike or whatever it is." It's like, well, yeah. If if you have that mentality, it, and I remember this conversation coming up and hearing James say this and makes points like, "Well, with that attitude, yeah, you don't have an option. You are going to suck at this. So do something about it." You know, or don't. But or if, don't. Yeah. <laughs> but if if you don't, then I don't want to hear about exactly. it. Exactly. I'm, I'm never gonna. It, but but it's it's true though. You know, if if my weakness is is uh, rowing, and I'm just like, I suck at the rower. Okay, cool. Or have you been trying to continue rowing or double unders? That is something I do suck at, uh, and that's something on the on the workout docket for late, for me later today. Uh, something about a hundred double unders in like four seconds. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something that I am not going to really do well at. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to try to improve it. Absolutely. And I think maybe one, one of the best examples of this maybe is uh, uh, Matt Frazier, who is now a multiple-time CrossFit Games champion. Um, running was a huge weakness of him of his. He was a junior national champion Olympic weightlifter. And, uh, you know, we're not known for our cardio. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he, didn't ver- he didn't perform very well in a lot of running events. And so he took it upon himself to he, – he basically – like had a buddy who coached a high school track team and he joined a high school track team and, and wow and went to practice with them and got his ass kicked by high school kids on a daily basis. And, uh, and you know, a year later running was no longer a weakness of his. And so, I mean, I think you can, you can choose, it's a choice, right? You can choose to run from it or you can choose to, uh, to run through it. And Arnold Schwarzenegger had small calves at one point. (laughs) I'm just saying like, that's true. Like, like, but what it is, he just, focus on the weakness and can yeah. chose not to have small calves. You have small calves, well, work on it. It's interesting when you, you know, fitness is just such a, it's such a perfect analogy to life. Yeah. And uh, you start to realize that all these things are the same and success in one, the, the, yes. the, the characteristics and the, the behaviors and the mindset and the strategies and everything that make you successful at one are what make you successful at just about everything. And so if you can if you can get a handle on your academics or your fitness or your whatever that one thing is, you can start to apply it to everything else. I think for a lot of people, they just put a little bit of effort into everything and never see success. Um, yeah. And then they feel like they suck at double unders or they suck at this. Yeah. And, and, and they don't give themselves the opportunity to get better. That's an interesting rabbit hole. I'd love to go down <laughs> if it wasn't during the podcast. No, I'm saying the, the specific topic of putting a little into a bunch of things, which 
I have uh, I've been a part of myself. I have seen this also with some students that they, they have six things going on. They're not doing well at school. They are struggling at school. They're struggling at spending enough time with family. Uh, they're struggling at uh, some other hobbies that they're involved in. But they're doing six different things. So of course they are because they're only giving you know a smaller effort to a lot of things as opposed to a lot of effort to a few things that are important. Yeah, exactly. I think we have we have limited resources as human beings, and uh, you know so sometimes you need to go all in to that one thing, and uh, everything else will work out in the end. I want to wrap this episode up. This is going to be a two-part interview that we have with James. We're going to come back and talk about a couple other topics, which I'll mention in about a minute. But to wrap up this part, part one of the conversation. Considering that some people listening to this are new fitness professionals or they're students at Brown University or elsewhere who are aspiring fitness professionals and will be joining us in the industry in a few months, a few years, what advice do you have for young fitness professionals or people who are going to be fitness professionals or entering the industry? Um, Oh, that's a great question. It's a, it's and a very is, broad question. I yeah, well, and I have an answer, um, actually, because it's, it's the advice that I give to just about anybody for just about anything, and it's, it's pay attention. Um, pay attention to the details and and realize that, that so many things in life are very similar to other things in life, and I mean, it's, it's exactly what we've been talking about. And so uh, I think if you if you take the time to, to get into the, the, the details, um, you learn that, it's not that complicated. I don't know. Dive into the details. Life, yeah, yeah. It's a good hashtag. <laughs> Dive in the details. <laughs> or well, hashtag pay attention. Hashtag, hashtag pay, pay attention. attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will continue our conversation in part two. Part two, which will be out a few weeks after this episode. That will be us talking to James about gym ownership, his life as a gym owner the last few months. We're also going to dive into the carnivore diet, something that James has talked about on social media, something that we've talked about off of the podcast and off of social media. I'm looking forward to getting to that. But as of now, we're going to wrap this up. First of all, I'd like to just say thank you to our podcast producer, producer Dakota Jones. You can find Dakota at dakota.m. Dot Jones on Instagram at Dakota.m.jones on Instagram. Thank you to everyone who listened. Enjoy your day.